Welcome back to another episode of Well Not Perfect. Today I sit down with Michael Gazzo, a music producer with an absolutely fascinating story. Michael has been in the music industry for 10 years as an artist, songwriter, producer, and an artist developer. He has worked with so many of the biggest names in the industry, from Jordan Sparks to the Backstreet Boys to even Snoop Dogg. Through my conversation with Michael, it was clear to me that his perspective is unique. He showed me the power of infusing spirituality into his personal and professional work, and boy, does he get some amazing results in the studio. In an industry that is known for high stakes and intense pressure, Michael's perspective and energy is benefiting the mental health of those he works closest with. Music is obviously healing, and there's so much power behind it in just artists like making music. But if we can be a little bit more intentional, I see a future in music and mental health that's a crossover that's really supporting some of the pressures and some of the struggles that it mean that that come with being in the music industry. In this episode, you will learn about the intersection between music and mental health, the importance of infusing healing practices into your everyday routines, and how to let go of outcomes and just focus on the presence. And be sure to check out the gratitude meditation that Michael recorded for us, linked in the show notes. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I wanted to get into your background and really highlight the really diverse things that you have going on right now. First, your career or your upbringing. How did you get into music? Why did that call you? And how are you currently staying busy with the music industry? So uh, great question. I started in music, like I'd, I'd like to say, I started when I was uh, about three years old. <laughs> I was like going around the uh, the dinner table singing one, two, three, four. I would literally go a one, a two, and I'd put my hand out for money. It was like the funniest thing. But music from a really early age always drew me in. And uh, where it really kind of started to take over my life was probably around the age of six or seven, started playing like upright bass and being an orchestra band, moving on to like starting my own bands. I was in a metal band, a ska band, an emo band all at the same time through high school and then college, uh, sort of playing live a little bit more and getting into uh, more like production and music production. Growing up, my dad is what's known as like a stereophile. So he has been building amps and speakers since he was like nine years old. So Growing up, I had like the craziest sound systems that we would just listen to, right? So I was listening to music in hi-fi situations, and that led me to production. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history. Uh, got signed to a label, was an artist for a while, and then moved into more music production and songwriting over the last, I would say over the last like four or five years. So in your experience working as a musician and then a producer, how did you know that you wanted to be a producer and work with some of the biggest names? I mean, we're talking about Jordan Sparks, Backstreet Boys, Snoop Dogg, so many people. How did you know that you wanted to get behind the board instead of being in front of, in front of the mic? I'd like to say that most of my life is a culmination of, of experience-based knowledge. I always knew in one way or another, like I wanted to try to see what it felt like to be an artist. And so living those many, many years touring and, 
and having to be someone, you know, you, you know, when you're an artist or really anyone that's forward leaning in the sense that like you have to put on a face, you, you're this person to people that I had to like play that that role, play that character for a long time. And I just it got exhausting. And I always knew that what I really loved to do was just create in the studio. Like playing live is awesome and it was it was exhilarating. And I and I think if I still had, if I have an opportunity moving forward in my life to play live music again, I'm sure I'll, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll do it. But as far as like going after an artist career, like the amount of sacrifices that need to be made, you know, you're away from your family and friends a lot of the time. There's so much, there's so much more that you have to be. And with being a music producer, there's certainly roles that are being played, but I always found myself more interested in talking to artists, like just sitting down, almost like producers are kind of like therapists, like a, a songwriting session. Yeah, like a I can see session, it. You know? Yeah. Is so. there a moment or a person or an artist that you were sitting down with and you were really meshing, you were connecting and you kind of hit a wavelength that was deep and connected and what was that like to kind of go from a conversation to music to creating I mean because it's a very intimate experience and it yeah. sounds as if and I'm assuming that you may not know them before they come in or it may be a brief relationship before they come in so how do you kind of cut through all of the surface level stuff and like get really deep yeah. with someone who may be really protected because they're famous and they don't really want to let everybody in. Like, how do you cut through the crap and like really just get in there because music at the end of the day, it feels raw and vulnerable. So how do you, how do you kind of do that with people? So I would say I've always had like an ability, even growing up to like feel into someone. I don't know how to describe it, but ask the right questions, right? People always like, you know, I have a younger sister and I think I always played that like older brother role, but I took it in everything like friendships and relationships. There was always this sense of, I want to help people. So I, I think at one, the first thing is environment, right? So the environment needs to be inviting. It needs to be comfortable. It needs to be a place that people can feel like they can open up and not be scrutinized or judged or so that's like you know the energy of the space and then the other thing would be i would say it's in in asking the right questions it's knowing when to push and when to like back off and so an example where i really hit it off with someone with was jordan sparks when we had finally met up in person we really just talked about life and it was really the intimacy that, that I brought forward, right? Like my, that's like the role of a producer in a way, not only to navigate the session, to make sure that things get done in a certain way, but it's also, you know, again, like I show up, I show up and I say, you know, these are the things I've been through. This is what I'm going through right now. What are you going through? You know, in a very like non pushy way. And so because of that, you know, Jordan and I became close through those sessions and, uh, and just was, would talk about life, would talk about what's going on, would talk about, you know, what it's like to be Jordan Sparks, right? Like, what do you struggle with being who you are, you know? Yeah, I like that. 
So with Jordan Sparks or really any artist that you work with who has a unique set of mental health or a unique set of stressors, how do you think mental health intersects into music? How do you see that playing out on, you know, the ground level with productions and creating all the way to the final product? Like where, where are you seeing mental health kind of woven in right now? Everywhere. That's the thing. It's, there is so much pressure in the music industry to be relevant, to be successful, because there's this pressure session to session to make something that's valuable. Even if a song does really well and life goes to a certain way, like the inner world is the most important world. So all this stuff externally can happen for someone and they can get all the accolades. And I was one of those people that, that built up so much tremendous success around me, but I was like, I wasn't happy. And so through my own sort of self-discovery and how I've viewed the industry since then is it is interwoven in how we work with each other in that it's so intimate. And I do feel, and this might be just me manifesting people like this in my life, but even with some of the artists that are at the higher level that I have uh, been working with for a while or met in the last like several years, there is more of a deepened awareness of the things that are important. And I think that things have been shifting into people taking care of themselves mentally, internally, and taking time when they need time and not getting overwhelmed with, or trying not to get overwhelmed with the pressure. Music is obviously healing and there's so much power behind it in just artists making music. But if we can be a little bit more intentional I see a future in music and mental health that's a crossover that's really supporting some of the pressures and some of the struggles that it means that that come with being in the music industry. Absolutely. And why do you think it is that music does bring out some of the strong, deep, really intense emotions in people, or do those people who feel the most get drawn to music? It's a chicken or the egg question, but is yeah. what are what are your thoughts on this idea? So to me, right, in my experience, music has been growing up either an escape or a resonance. So what I mean by that is I was using music to either escape something or to feel it more. Those are like the two applications. And so I think fundamentally vibration, all frequencies are healing. We use frequencies in some medical procedures, right? There's, there's frequencies in, in, in affecting brain waves. Like there's so much to just vibration and frequency alone that when you match that with deep emotional healing, like, uh, you know, whether that's through a chord progression or it's through like lyrical content, there's something that you're expressing just as therapy is so such a beautiful practice in guiding someone there so is like community sharing. Hearing someone else's grief, hearing someone else's experience heals you because it's in you too. Mm -hmm. I would say one of my two biggest personal and professional shifts were on writing and yoga and private retreats, whether it was on the the East coast at the Himalayan Institute or on the West coast at Sagrada. I just remember, like you said, combining the connection and the sharing with the sound bowls with movement that that 
a, you know, that combined was an alternate universe for me. I mean, it really was not the Midwest. It was not the office. It was not my home. I mean, it was a really, you know, the word healing is either maybe cheesy or unrelatable, or, you know, it. you, you get it, you know, it's, it's one or the other. I think that word, some, it hits people and sometimes it's a mess, but for me, (laughs) I get what that healing is because when you sit there for days and days and days, and really go deep and in, there's a whole world. There's, there's stories, there's people, there's places, there's things, you know, there's, there's a whole world inside there, but we day to day do not have the space or the capacity to do that work unless it's extremely intentional and planned and practiced. How have you organized your life in order to have those practices so that you are sustaining the, the, the benefits or the, the clarity from it. So obviously daily practice, uh, is the, is the most common denominator here. Daily practices, not I think in the beginning of my daily practice and any habit is creating the habit, right? So you attach it with something Just like I think Tiny Habits and Atomic Habits talks about, attach it to something you already do. So if you brush your teeth every morning when you wake up, I would hope you do. But if, you know, you do that and you go like, all right, it's time to meditate either before or after, you know, usually attaching it after is most beneficial. So I created, at first I was very like militant about it. I was like, okay, I need to spend 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is in the beginning of my day, no matter what, to keep tapping into the well, you know? And so that looked like in the beginning of my more transformational year, year and a half, lots of Wim Hof, lots of meditation, uh, yoga, journaling, all sorts of stuff kind of in that world. The other side of it too, which is a bit of a harder shift and it takes a longer time and I'm still cultivating this, is bringing that into everything I do that everything is meditative, that, that everything, having gratitude for everything, no matter if it's good or bad, to be, to be appreciative of the moment, to be closer to the present moment. That shift happened tremendous. All of those things started to come together through practices outside of just the daily practice, being open to experiences with like new experiences with people, getting in touch with nature, like the balance of it all. Do you think that because you are kind of sandwiching your sessions for the most part with the deep self-care and the mental health, and then at the end of the evening, winding down, going to bed, does that protect your mental health? And does that keep you in the music industry when maybe other people aren't protecting themselves in that way and they get burned out or something happens where they're not as resilient along the way? Yes. And I will say that even though I wouldn't have traded anything in my life because it would, it would have brought me to a different point than right now. And I'm so deeply like grateful for who I am now, for what I've been through that I have people in my life that are maybe like, I'm mentoring in a way to figure that out, to figure out what I figured out now before the chaos happens, before all 
the ups and downs and lefts and rights of the industry starts to like chip away at their mental health. You know, it's inevitable. It's not like something that is avoidable because it's such a demanding industry. But my own practices, it has certainly made a big difference in what not only what I've been able to deal with, because there's always tension and problems and stuff with work, right? But also like, I don't, I just don't get as attached to things, you know, like I used to get so, I was so identified in music. And then when I decided ultimately to like shed that role or rather like accept it, but know that I have many other roles and many other people I can be and things that were important to me, I wasn't as attached to my work anymore. At the end of the day, like there are so many other things in my life that bring me fulfillment and joy that that balance has allowed me to reapproach music, not just as a career, but mostly as just like play. Yeah, it goes into something that really reminds me of what you said earlier, but also building on it, which is when you're when you're noticing that you're not attached to the outcome or the results and you're just kind of like chill and going with it, that you're practicing unattachment. And the unattachment is that you're not committed or assigning yourself to one outcome. You're really letting it kind of build itself and, and kind of go, go into what it needs to. And that word to me could sound like, if I think about someone who I have in my office might sound like, well, if you're unattached, then, you know, you don't care, you're disinterested. And the difference is that, is that the word unattached is different from detached and detached is in my mind, that cold disconnected approach, but unattachment is what we, you know, know about the Buddhism, which is we step back and let things be as they are for now and let them change in the future. So you might not like that beat right now. And because you're unattached to that outcome, it might turn into a better one in one minute, and then you can roll with it. So it's a nice way to live. Although I think it's a big challenge because we are so Western minded and we are so focused on productivity and producing. How do you let go of that Western mentality in a high driving performing industry when you're quite the opposite? (laughs) You just stated the uh, dissonance of my life. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a, it's an ebb and flow, you know, as one gives the other takes in the sense that like, there are, there are times where I have to go into the machine mentality for, for myself. I know it's there. Like as far as what I'm really good at, it's doing what I've been cultivating is being. So when I have to really approach something from like, okay, there's a deadline, we have to like get this thing done. I can tap into that without getting so engulfed in it. The pandemic slowed everyone's lives down. So it was kind of an opportunity to like reapproach my life and be like, okay, well, I do love what I do. That's undeniable, right? But I don't love how I'm doing. And so there's moments to answer the question, there's moments that I do show up as Mike Gazzo, the producer. And then then there's all the other times, right? Which is the, uh, let's just create, let's just make something. And and so there's moments where you have to be this side of it. And and there's moments where you have to just kind of create openly. It's described in so many spiritual texts, but 
um, Ram Dass says like the witness, you know, being the witness to your own life. Right. And the observer. Getting, the observer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To not get so caught in the and entangled in it. Don't you think it's a little bit of not taking yourself so serious, even oh, when yeah. we are working on the mindfulness and the unattached and the letting go and radical acceptance and all of that being ideally light and not too serious when sometimes spirituality and these practices get an intensity to them. And so on your left, you're trying to be unattached and letting go and having that sort of perfect, you know, Buddha on your side. Yeah. It feels intense. And then on your right, you have the machine, which can feel intense. So both of them feel that way, but the way that you describe it is that there's a, there's a light, there's a joy, there's a self-love in, in one side. And then there is a machine that you can plug into on the other, because like you said earlier, I think before we were, were recording that we don't have that monk lifestyle. We have to assimilate into our world and into, you know, California and, and all of those things you have to assimilate. So I like how you're describing one being very light and then also one being an objective or a witness to creating and producing and getting the job done and doing a good job. It goes into my next question too. Do you feel like some artists, people in your industry take the music too serious and does that lose its love? Does that lose its, or does that cause mental health? Like, where do you see when artists just take everything too serious? What then is a result of it? I mean, so many do. Part part of the paradox of all of this is you kind of have to. In order to be successful in the larger machine of the industry, you have to take it seriously. And anything that you are doing, like, right, like we have these breathwork workshops that we've been cultivating and building. And like, as much as I'd love to manifest people at my front door, <laughs> like there's work. I got to make a flyer. I got to do things. I got to take myself seriously doesn't mean you can't have fun while doing it, right? Music has always been fundamentally a play thing, right? Like creation is a play expression. So what has bogged it down is all the machine that goes into producing the product that people can sell. I think artists struggle so deeply because the art they're creating is them. It really is. So they're portraying this whole, like, this is me. I got my heart broken. I'm still heartbroken. And so they're they're obviously attached to what happens to it. I always tell people, even now, like the way I'm working, when they come to work with me, I've had sessions in the last two years where we have done nothing but talk. And like more of that, more of just being there for a person because that six hours of talking Now, the next time we work together, we might work, we might talk for another six hours, but most likely we're going to talk for an hour and make the most beautiful piece of art because we've, we've, we've connected in that way. We've connected on a personal level, deep, you know, human to human level, listening to each other, holding space for each other so that now we can create from that space. And it isn't as, it isn't so serious. It isn't like, I try to take away in the way that I work as much of the seriousness as I can. Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles, and achieving their goals. 
What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With the goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code WELLNOTPERFECT. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency. Can you tell when there's a deeper uncovered trauma or a trauma that someone hasn't healed or resolved? Can you hear that in music when they're creating? Yes. There's two things that has that have happened. The first thing that's happened in my life or has always been there is being able to, to hear the hurt in someone, the way they speak, the way they interact, the way that they, what they're projecting, even if it is something that is happy it's there's an energy to to pure happiness there's an energy to like forced happiness you know the other thing too is like knowing when to talk about it and when people are not ready to talk about it that's a that's a very important quality not just as a producer but most most mostly as a facilitator and as a teacher and a leader and whatever else roles I'm playing but the other thing that's a little fluffier is I've always and even more so been able to see a person's like highest potential part of my work has been get breaking away that attachment to what I see and knowing that some people may never get there may never get to what I have created in my head in seeing and feeling into their what they're looking to become even and then through through the art like through creating it's like you'll play something and, and it'll be kind of darker and they'll be like, Ooh, I like that. It's like, okay. Then there's some sessions where it's like just bubble gummy, you know, it's just like, you could play the most happy thing in the world and everyone's like, yeah, that's it. Like, woo. Yeah. It's interesting because we're talking about the artists that you're working with. And, you know, like you said, being a producer and a therapist, there's probably a lot of similarities and yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll have a personality in the office and not a client necessarily, maybe just a colleague. And, you know, it's like, man, you're the golden retriever of humans. You know, you're just happy, <laughs> go lucky, you know, and, and you feel like you're truly a golden retriever and, you know, that's a gift. And then there's other people where, you know, they come in the room and you're like, man, that's an Eeyore, you know, you can just feel the sadness and the, the pain. And that's, you know, a gift as well, because some of the most beautiful artists or writers, doctors. I mean, there's so many amazing people who aren't always bright and cheerful and have that, you know, that pain to share that we all can relate to. And music is obviously a huge way that we can connect and feel those darker things on top of the, the lighter things too. It's such an interesting position for you to be in. You know, I do see you know, you got a couch back there and yep. <laughs> it looks like my office You just sit there and talk. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got 
different results you need to produce, but it's a fascinating comparison. Do the artists know that? I mean, do they kind of get it? Yeah. 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 I mean, they, they, I think people know now more than ever working with me is not going to be normal because if you look at my life, my life is not normal. Like even as a music producer, the things I do outside of music is not the cookie cutter version of someone that lives in the that lives in the space of music in the sense of all the you know plant medicines and the travels and the intention and the breath work and the meditation and all that not to say that there aren't people like that but i think people already know that coming into a session with me will be a little even just a little bit mm-hmm. deeper than normal mm-hmm. and that's and even taking that away of songwriting session is always that are the labels in the industry getting it like is there a space for mental health in the entertainment industry for the artists it's interesting it's another paradox right because if you it's almost like you'd have to change the whole machine in a way i do think that things are shifting in such a large way that it is either inevitable or already happening, that music industry mentality is shifting. And I mean, like mental health has become such a large, large conversation generally. Like if I have like my 80 year old, you know, aunt talking about wellness, then something's shifting, you know? So that's to me, like there is always the potential for these to be reformed in a way that's beneficial to everyone that still creates profit for the company, but also provides services that are valuable for people's mental health. That isn't like, Hey, here's a bunch of money. Come in. Now you're mine. And if you don't give me what's mine, I'm just going to throw you on the street. Yeah. I mean, in 10 years, things have significantly changed because massively. Yeah. I mean, I think about 10 years and I entered the field more than 10 years ago, but I can really look back and there's exact specific examples that I can remember how things have changed. You know, it, it started with schools no longer discriminating against someone who was out of school for mental health programs. And then it was parents not hiding their cars in the parking lot anymore to show that they were at a therapy clinic. And then now we have two double glass doors to our waiting room and everyone sits in our waiting room, even though there's a private one that they could sit in. There's these things that tell me that we are doing better. And I realized that when I asked you that question, I do have an example, how MTV entertainment last year started a mental health take action day in May during mental health awareness month and us and about, you know, probably thousand other brands joined in on the efforts and we could take action in any way that we felt we needed to. And we had their sponsorship behind us. And this year with really just local marketing, we've got about 200 people taking action and walking on May 19th here Mm. in town and getting some free ice cream and some photo ops. And it's, it's sponsored, it's marketed, supported by MTV entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, done so much. I mean, there's um, I, I could go on and on, on about almost the industry connections I have now through inter MTV entertainment, which is fascinating because I never thought 
10 years ago, I would be talking to anyone in the music industry or the entertainment (laughs) industry or celebrity hairstylists about mental health. And, you know, all these people who have an interest in mental health because producers, celebrity hairdressers, band members, you know, are people who are getting and doing therapy unofficially. We, we know it's there. And I think artists are, are gradually getting more comfortable acknowledging that they've been in treatment or acknowledging that they're struggling with sobriety or all these things. And there is a pressure upward for industries, companies, labels to get in line a little Mm -hmm. bit because, because the people, you know, the people kind of supporting from underneath are holding up that system they're starting, you know, they're starting to rumble and I really hope that the industry begins to listen. Yeah, I agree. I, I think no matter what the shift needs to happen within each person first. And if each person starts to shift, therefore the domino effect that comes from that shift externally is way more tremendous than even some of the pressures that are happening the pressures that are happening though to me are from those shifts are not necessarily driven only because people like companies look like they need to look like they care it's because the people in the companies actually care mm-hmm. that they're actually needing therapy or finding meditation coaches or going to yoga classes to to cope with whatever mm-hmm. is underneath even if it's not like work related it's right just- or those generations are going to retire And there's going to be a shift in mindset in the higher leadership. I can, you know, tell you from working with eating disorders in Chicago and with executives and things like that, that it only takes one person's child, niece, nephew, daughter, cousin, someone, someone, a couple generations under them to struggle with mental health. And then that CEO looks at his or hers company and their mental health benefits. And they think this is horrible. Yeah. My niece, my niece is in the hospital for an eating disorder and she has to leave after 10 days because insurance has decided that she's healthy enough to leave the hospital as a CEO. What are my benefits for my, you know, so it doesn't have to be that person who wants therapy. It can be someone that they care about changes that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. That leader looks at themselves and thinks, well, what kind of legacy do I leave this company? If this is how I leave the benefits for mental health. So I like the, the quote pressure and pressure, not being a judgmental word, just pressure in the objective word, right? Pressure just means like kind of condensing Mm -hmm. pressure, condensing on the decision makers to feel the weight of mental health directly or indirectly. And I think that's another way I've seen organizations change, even if people have been of an older generation and formally stuck in their ways. Um, because once it happens to them, all of a sudden they realize that that's not, you know, impossible to think that even their best sales producer may have a wife or a child who needs the benefits. Yeah. It's, it's kind of what I, what I was saying about my, my uh, my own life of, uh, of, of, finding the wisdom through experience or knowledge through experience. Exactly. Yeah. Is, you know, I, I firmly believe that I chose the life I'm in and in choosing the life I, I I'm in, it meant having a sister who tried to commit suicide twice to mental illness, had every eating disorder known to humans and struggled with what she struggled with. My mom struggling with bipolar and manic 
some of my closest friends struggling with these sorts of issues and me struggling with my own, that it was always funneling me to a greater perspective, a greater uh, purpose. And so I see that too. I, and I think to like kind of rephrase what I was saying before, like if the employees of a company or the members of a family are shifting themselves, that wave is going mm-hmm. to hit as the highest places in our, in our communities. Yeah. It's the butterfly uh, effect. It's, it's completely the butterfly effect. And uh, I think it's so beautiful. Like even like the community we're building here through the workshops and just like generally the community to see how that shift is, is occurring within the community. And then how each of us individually bring that little part of that community into other places of our life that aren't as conscious, right? That aren't as intentional. And even those people are starting to slowly shift. They're like, well, you seem, you seem kind of, you seem kind of happier. The best word is like, you're so calm. <laughs> like, how are you so calm? You know? And then, uh, and then they're like, well, how do you do it? I'm like, well, you know, breath work, whatever. And then that person comes to a workshop and boom, like it's, mm-hmm. it's just, they bring it to their family members. Mm-hmm. I see it happen. I, I see it happen in mm-hmm. even my own family. It's possible to be calm and chill and also successful. And oh, yeah. the, oh, yeah. this, the stereotype that you have to be the stressed person who's really successful is, and is a story that we're trying, we need to unlearn or we're trying to unlearn because just cause you're, when you're chill and calm, doesn't mean that you aren't assertive. It doesn't mean that you aren't competitive. Yep. You know, there's all these things that we are kind of complicated or a little contradictory a little bit. Like I am assertive and competitive and I'm pretty calm and chill yeah. and, and the dialectic or the, the opposites of all that, that kind of merge together is sometimes new to people. You know, sometimes I have young female clients who kind of look at me and, you know, seem like you're pretty chill and calm yet you have this company and, you know, it, it's a paradox for them. They can't quite put yeah, it all yeah. together in a simple way. And it's interesting to see that their opinion or perspective is that a CEO has to have a certain look, has to have a certain attitude. And I really disrupt that, I think for them (laughs) in a, in a good way, but I do think I'm disrupting that a little bit based on their faces and trying to figure out how old I am and how many kids (laughs) I have. And, you know, they're just kind of like, what, what's going on? I can't compute Um, it. (laughs) Okay. Before we wrap up, I heard that you have a meditation. Yeah, I would love to share it with you guys. I would love that. So tell me, tell me more. Okay, so the practice is, it's kind of a hybrid that I use for pretty much any sort of uh, guiding to begin some type of a process or to even start your day. So it's, it's started in uh, sessions as sort of an intention setting just to get the like, just to get everybody like whatever they came into the session with just to like center themselves but it's bre- it's basically based in gratitude. It's a practice that uh, doesn't require much, to be honest. It just requires your present and there. <laughs> um, I've done it with people that have not ever meditated before and then people that have deeply meditated most of their lives and have had the same sort of uh, response from everyone mm. that it's just a nice little five minute like reminder mm-hmm. to like focus really on what is there versus what isn't. Well, that's really great. And I'm going to link that meditation in the show notes so people can access it easily. And if you're listening to this, be sure that you go check it out. 
I want to thank you for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with us. It's been so fun to talk to you about all the parallels between our industries. And I think all the work that you're doing is so important. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you again for having me here and and talking. I love talking about this stuff, talking about my journey, talking about perspective and, you know, everything that you're doing with this podcast and just generally with the company is is wonderful. So thank thank you you for everything that you do. Yeah. Well, thank you. And this is another episode of, well, not perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at well, not perfect. See you next week. Bye.